You hit that guy. He shouldn't have been standing there. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I lost him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see? Welcome, America, uh, Internet, humans, once again, to Gag Reel. Your, yeah. your favorite show celebrating comedy for God knows why. Who does know? And uh, welcome. Today we are talking about uh, one of my favorite goofball mockumentaries. The, I feel like the originator of the mockumentary. They coined the term. Spinal Tap. This, yeah, this is Spinal Tap. Or in, in, uh, in Norwegian... It's it's something entirely different. It's like help with an exclamation point. <laughs> what? Um, we're we're pop stars or something like that. Uh, well, it's actually very similar to the title for uh, airplane over there, and it confused oh. people over there because they thought they were seeing a sequel or a spiritual successor to airplane. I'm looking it up right now. I'm now. I'm curious. I think there's one flight in Spinal Tap. If he, I don't think they, actually no, I don't think there's any. There's nothing no. to do with airplanes. There's well, no they, get, they, uh, they go through security, and That's he has right. the the cucumber wrapped the in cucumber foil. Cucumber wrapped in foil, which always kind of confused me when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. It's like why are you wrapping in foil? <laughs> I don't. I think it was just for the sake of the gag. Uh, but yeah, that always baffled me, but a great moment either way. Just the like discomfort on Harry Shearer's face as he doesn't want to admit that he has this cucumber in his pants. Yeah. I got it right here. In Norway, the film is called Help. We are in the pop business. <laughs> okay. Indeed. Exactly. Please help us. <laughs> but I guess uh, just like last episode of Gag Reel, we're kind of just going to jump in to, uh, you know, background info on this uh, this movie, fun facts, you know, maybe uh, give you guys some context on, uh, on what's going on that you didn't know. Yeah, um, the characters were, you know, designed by the actors that play them, Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, and um, they were they were all friends with and uh, worked with. Uh, Rob Reiner in the, the, in the improv community. And so they were, they essentially wanted to put something together for some time after they had uh, developed these rock star characters that they played either on stage or for different things throughout the seventies. And uh, which the idea initially all kind of sprang from uh, Christopher guest in 1974 was in a hotel lobby and he heard an e English band checking in. The manager, and I think there were four of them, they went up to the desk and he started doing the thing and I was just waiting for my friend. And the manager says to one of them, where's your bass? <laughs> what? <laughs> where's your bass? I don't know, I think I left it at the airport. <laughs> you what? I don't know. You left your base at the airport. I don't know, where is it? Well, I don't know, I'm asking you. Well, it went on for 15 minutes. I don't think I've ever been happier. And so he decided he wanted to do some sort of characters where they were clueless rock stars. And 
uh, you know, like, wouldn't you know it? His his friend Michael McKean and their friend Harry Shearer, they each play instruments. So why not be rock stars? And so they um, they came up with the idea. They got everything together. And so they were offered the opportunity to write the script for the movie. We were given a, a small chunk of money to write a screenplay. And we said, nah. And we said, we, wanna, we, want, we made a demo version of what we wanted to do. So we did a lot of it. We got of our, you know, a lot of our friends who knew how to improvise, Tony Hendra and, and Richard Belzer. And, and was this with Rob Reiner from the beginning? Yes, it was, yeah. And we made a 20-minute version with our own bucks and kind of hawked that around and eventually landed a sale. It was fun. Did people think you were going to take that and make a script out of it? <laughs> I don't know what they thought. I didn't, I didn't ask. <laughs> and that, that actually didn't work out for them because when they passed around the demo reel to places, no one got it. And like the same thing that happened when the film in, in, ended up getting released, people didn't realize that it was a joke. Like they kind of looked at it and thought that it was a uh, serious rock band and didn't didn't get that it was it was this uh you know comedy like at least at the start like it, it takes a good while till you get to the really kind of like out there moments it, as, even though there's only really a few yeah I, I can definitely understand like if you come into this not really understanding it's a comedy i feel like the part of me would just think these guys are just like really dumb bad musicians <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um at least until they talk about the bizarre gardening accident that happened to the ex-drummer that's that's true i feel like that would be the moment where I'm like okay yeah i think i get that this is just a dumb comedy <laughs> yeah well like um yeah rob reiner specifically said that like nobody got it when they were shopping it around they didn't understand that it wasn't a real lousy band and they were like, if like, why would you want to make a movie about a band? Nobody's heard of that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I it, it, it's, uh, I guess it has to do with like just how, I mean, it's filmed very much like an actual rock band on tour. The yeah. cinematographer, Peter Smokler also worked on actual band documentaries. He, he did the camera. He did camera work for Gimme Shelter, filmed during Altamont. Which uh, anybody listening out there doesn't know what Altamont is. Look it up. It's insane. It's the. It, it was an attempt to be a, a second Woodstock that just turned into uh, all hell breaking loose. People died. It was. It was a pretty crazy experience. And uh, and then he made Spinal Tap. And then he went on to make Spinal Tap. And actually, I looked up his uh, cinematography credits, and he went on to do a bunch of different comedies after that. He's he's done the uh, cinematography for like hundreds of like over a hundred episodes of It's Always Sunny, and uh, several All other like just comedy, comedy kind of a loose documentary style. I mean, there's no interviews per se, but it's definitely that kind of guerrilla handheld yeah. camera style. And he did like six episodes of Parks and Rec, which is all, which is a mockumentary style, and yeah. one episode of The Office, also mockumentary, became a pioneer of the mockumentary. Yeah, going back and watching this, uh, some of the camera work and just with the British accents and stuff, I can't help but thinking like the British Office in some moments. Yeah, which obviously took a lot from this. 
just brought it to even more real type people. Mm-hmm. The British office's forte. <laughs> um, did you have any more kind of like background tidbits? Uh, when, it, when it came to like the making of background, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. They, they spent after getting that demo reel made that it took them four years to finally get a movie deal, which they got out of, uh, company i can't remember the name of but they went under and studio canal bought it and they're currently in the process of getting the rights back from studio canal which has been a pending lawsuit for several years that's something we can get into later in the episode or we can get it to now it doesn't matter that that's pretty crazy to me after all these years this is uh well actually they had to wait 35 years to get the rights back oh my gosh yeah so like Here's here's what here's the the notes I got uh, for that was Vivendi is the company that owns the rights to both the songs and the movie, which is a constant problem because Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer often go on tour as those characters. Every few years they'll go on tour, so they have to go through a whole rigmarole just to get the rights to their own songs every time they do that. But um, essentially, uh, they made a bad deal when they signed off on the movie that gave the studio like way too much rights, and they didn't know better at the time. But um, and so they've essentially made no money from the movie since it came out, and so those tours are probably the only way they make any money off of those characters. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a copyright act from of 1976 that can allow creators to terminate their original contracts and essentially get their rights back through what's called a termination notice. But you have to wait 35 years to put in that termination notice. And when they went ahead and tried doing that studio canal and Vivendi fought back really hard claiming that their employment was considered work for hire, which opens up a whole other can of worms and a big mess. And it's an ongoing $400 million lawsuit. It's a big mess. So, yeah, that's a, that's about it in terms of the making of all of, all it's over this this uh, this cheap goofy movie. Yeah, for- it's ridiculous to me. But like uh, you know, all that aside, like it did help launch the careers of all these great filmmakers and comedians. Yeah, Rob Reiner was not taken seriously as a director until he made this movie. He yeah. wasn't able. He was, and then he could go on and make the Princess Bride and all his. I other mean, movies. yeah, he went on to make like so many classic '80s films. Yep, and and beyond, and beyond, <laughs> and obviously Christopher Guest's career launched through this, and then oh, absolutely. I feel like Harry Shearer wouldn't have become a name like on The Simpsons and other uh, comedic uh, roles if it wouldn't have been for this. Probably not. Looking back at the movie. Uh, going back, watching it a couple of days ago for the first time in, in probably a couple of years. And uh, I I used to watch this movie so much. It's kind of hard for me to like, you know, laugh out loud at all the little quirky bits because I know them so well. But um, there are yeah. a few moments that made me just straight up like laugh out loud, even though I knew they were coming and I've seen them a hundred times. But uh I think my top moment is uh, is Nigel talking about his guitar solos, 
and then it, it cuts to <laughs> him doing his guitar solo, which is just this repetitive little fingering he's doing on his guitar. But then we slowly <laughs> yeah. notice that he is kicking two guitars that he has standing up. <laughs> yeah. And then he surprises everyone. He grabs a violin in a, in, a, in a classic again. kind of mock on Jimmy Page. Uh, and Jimmy Page is, you know, clear. Uh, his signature for a few years at least a violin bow and he just straight up starts smacking his guitar with the violin (laughs) the best part though is that he tunes the violin after doing it for a second it's pretty great i i noticed a few little lines that slipped past me i guess either slipped past me or just i forgot entirely but i like it when you know at the very start marty debergi is describing spinal tap he says, you know, their exuberance, their raw power, and their punctuality. <laughs> One of England's loudest bands. Mm, yeah, that line always makes me laugh. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love the reviews at the start. Oh, the yeah. The shit sandwich. <laughs> All those reviews really set the tone, I think, just from the very start. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were a bunch of other little jokes. Um, I, I didn't remember. I mean, I probably did notice it the last time I saw it, but I didn't remember noticing the fact that um like the um, just I, I guess it's just in big bottom there's not a single guitar being played it's all bass and then i was watching a live performance where they brought in 19 bass players to play that same riff <laughs> and they introduced every single one of them as on lead bass this guy on lead bass did, did this they guy. did they do the butt smacking at the end yep. that's the yep. best part yeah, it is. Some of the, like, I feel like this this movie gets remembered for, like, all of its little quips, but there's so much great just physical comedy that's just as subtle as those lines. One of my favorite gags that I, I always remember it coming, but it's always great, is uh, the rock and roll creation. The, pod. the eggs. Yeah, the pods, <laughs> yeah. eggs, whatever. Derek Smalls, yes, just trying to get out. Yep. It's such like a cartoon moment with the 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 stagehand grabbing a fucking. He's hammering, torch. interrupting everyone with a completely different beat, just smacking it over yep. and over again. And uh, it brings out a welding torch. Meanwhile, like Nigel has this absurdly tiny guitar. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't notice that before. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> and, and yeah, he pulls out the blowtorch and then he comes out right at the moment that they go back in the pod. Yep. Throws up his fist. That's all I can yep. do. <laughs> I love he goes up to the mic and it's like, uh, <laughs> I guess I gotta get back yeah. in there. Yeah, I thought that was great. Also, um, when they were talking about their third, yeah, their third drummer, Peter James Bond, uh-huh. um, when uh, it was at the the Jazz and Blues Festival, or was it Blues Jazz Festival on the Isle of Lucy? Uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't got that one before. I love Lucy. <laughs> thought that was funny. But um, I, I guess I never really, like, paid attention before till just how kind of 
trim this movie is. It, it's real, real tight. I mean, obviously it was, it was a low budget film, so I'm sure they didn't really have the money to go over 80 minutes. But um, front to back, it, it's just such a short film. Like you, when they, they do their breakup towards the end, you know, they then they build up the climax. There's, I think, only two scenes without Nigel in the band. Yeah, it's, and they it's never, real they never even cross cut to where he was during that time. No, that third act turn is fast, but yeah, it's really, really, really quick, really fast paced, really, really tight. Um, and they edited that down from over a hundred hours, which oh, wow. is crazy. This is just like, how much did they think wasn't funny enough to go into the film? And I wonder how many of the was um was kind of like actual like kind of B-roll gags versus how much of that was interview cuz it seems like for the most part most interviews were accompanied with kind of footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it would cut back and forth, so I wonder if that's just a lot of interview stuff that they didn't think was funny enough to kind of add visual gags to. Yeah, I don't I don't know. They, uh, the, everything I could read, I couldn't find a whole bunch of information on what footage, you know, like was cut out other than there were a few side plots that I read about. Like one of them was, you can kind of notice it. Like there's one scene where, um, uh, David St. Hubbins has a cold sore. Uh-huh. And so there was apparently like an, uh, there was this whole subplot where they all keep taking turns having cold sores <laughs> and, um, and it, it apparently it was all, all it's apparently there's like all this whole side plot with uh, them hooking up with one specific groupie. I, I guess it didn't sound basic based on what I read. It didn't sound funny enough to get put into the movie. And I think yeah, a mysterious yeah. cold sore is a little funnier. Cause it's just like, mm. what is going on in this one scene? Ha ha. But yeah, it's a funny, funny movie. Lots of, lots of uh, pretty much like lots of, both up and coming comedians showing up in the movie that like hadn't done much before this movie and like went on to big careers. I mean, you got, I don't know. Was Billy Crystal big at that point? Was that a cameo or was that a, just an early role for him? I got to imagine he was probably in stuff by then, but I feel like I'm not a a crystal head as they're called. No, I, I I just made (laughs) that up. Not one of the crystal. Um, the crystal folk not one of those i had nothing against billy crystal but like just thinking about all the kind of big roles he had i feel like they were kind of late 80s early 90s yeah so i don't know i don't know if he was upcoming at this point he did have a great line in this movie you know mine is money <laughs> he, i feel that's a great I feel like a lot of the cameos didn't really get that great of gags but i do like that line a lot well like I I mean like I always thought that the um their first drummer um I wrote I wrote down oh, his Ed name. Bigley or was that Yeah, John Stumpy yeah, Pete Ed was I, I always thought he looked like Ed Begley Jr. but I these I mean like I I wasn't sure until this time watching it that I was watching the credit oh yeah that really was Ed Begley. What, was he the one that I turned into he, just a little globule? No, he was he was the one from uh uh, give me some. Yeah, yeah. Stop wasting they never show what happened to him. He uh, he he died in a bizarre gardening accident. You know yeah. 
would. Best leave it. I love that they're like, yeah, the authority said best leave it unsold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wrote down all the 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 deaths of all the drummers. The Eric Stumpy Joe. So both John John Peeps and Eric Joe were Stumpies. Uh Uh, He choked on vomit, on someone else's vomit, and you you can't really dust for vomit. And uh, then, uh, yeah, he choked on vomit, and then the uh, Peter James Bond exploded on stage, and uh, left uh, all after a flash of green light. All that was left was a little green globule. <laughs> I love Chris. I don't know. I wonder how much research Christopher Guest did, or if he was just making all these up. All these like fake Britishisms. Like the word globule. I feel like that. That's a very kind of like. Britishism of of saying like it, yeah, it was just a little piece. Yeah, that's, it's very British. I, but it I, seems like phony British. That's true. So I'm I wondering where he found all this. I believe he grew up for a portion of his childhood in England. And so it's possible he just picked up on some of the some of the weird words people say from time to time there. I don't know. I think uh, going back, you know, I, I I've seen a lot of like uh, a bit more cinema now since I was like 14 years old watching this movie. Yeah. And and uh, you know, rating their accents top to bottom, I do think Christopher Guest is the best. It would make sense if if he grew up there. Yeah. And I probably I, Harry so. Shearer, a great voice actor now, but I I don't think his was that convincing for the whole movie. It no. kind of fades in and out. No. I thought Michael McKean's was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it definitely seemed like a, like a, you know, like a phony British accent, but it was definitely compared to a lot of other movies where act, where American actors are doing British accents. I, I'd have to give, in fact, I'd give all three of them a little higher rating than I would it's, a lot it's of. It's convincing enough. Yeah. yeah. A convincing enough job, award. Huh? <laughs> should make the trophies out to him. I was trying to think of other like great physical moments from them, especially I feel like Nigel Christopher Guest was just kind of going at it with this these great physical comedy routines that are just very <laughs> yeah. like subtle. I always thought, yeah, like he did a lot of the you know like little subtleties, and then uh, I just thought Harry Shearer's facial expressions were pretty great from time to time. They're so perfect. Like, and I, I love his like jazz odyssey. And just yes, kind of the look on his awesome. <laughs> I look the look on his face is he seems so into it and so excited for the Jazz Odyssey. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it sounded so terrible, but he was so excited. But like him doing jazz. the shush on uh-huh. the flower people, yeah, just, that gets me every time. It's a great cut. They they do a good job of kind of making uh, mocking all these different kind of moments in rock history. Yep. Uh, to a confusing timeline though like given so if they were kids and and let's say they're like 18 in like the early 60s playing like a Beatles kind of rock joint they would be like in their mid 40s you know by by the time Spinal Tap going on right yeah and then on top of that if if you're listening to their band history when they're the Timsmen doing Give Me Some Money that was already their third or fourth band. 
Yeah. And so they were they they were already veterans at that point. And so yeah, the age doesn't necessarily add up. They they are just these uh these, these timeless people in the in, in like the margins of rock history. But um I'm I was trying to think of kind of the, with these different rock songs and uh and the different cuts kind of what what specifically if there is any specific ones that they were kind of trying to mock in these different songs and moments and the, the whole flower people thing it, it i mean obviously that's kind of like 60s psychedelic era but it, it seems specific kind of birdsy uh i'm trying to think of like the turtles it, it was well, like very kind of specific yeah like flower people it, it's up i remember i i uh Michael McKean went over a little bit, like just a few songs and just kind of some basic inspirations with flower people. He basically said 1967 specifically, that was their whole inspiration for that song. Like yeah. Every song that came the out psychedelic in psychedelic era. Yeah. Was like that. Some of their other songs were interesting because I, I couldn't necessarily nail down a specific influence, but you could just tell like they were going for just like, the most uh like generic of a specific type of music yep like, I, uh, I got a lot of like led zeppelin and rush in the whole uh stonehenge yes any any of the big theme based yep band uh alice cooper the yeah. rock and roll creation thing yeah i kind i wrote down with rock and roll creation that I wasn't entirely sure, but it sounds like pretty much every pretentious late seventies song. <laughs> but, um, and with, uh, Michael McKean said on heavy duty, he said it was specifically inspired by ACDC. And I get that completely. Yep. That makes sense. Cause yeah, it's, it's singing like the song is literally about nothing. It's just cool words. Yeah. With loud guitars. Yeah. It brings out the duty in my soul. (laughs) (laughs) And like he said that the cups and cakes, they don't show it, but they play it when they're like, they're listening to the radio and they're like, Oh wow. Old song. Yeah. Um, He said that was specifically uh, a kinks inspired song, but he didn't say that. Give me some money was, but like, give me some money. Sounds like early kinks Mm -hmm. to a, to a T. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that that sounds more kinksy to me, and the uh, the one on the radio sounds almost more like the Who to me, like when the Who was kind of more goofy in their earlier years. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, then like Big Bottom was. Uh, I wrote down. I'm, I can't. I, I'm not sure if I got this from somewhere or if I just wrote it down. But a lesser band trying to pull a queen, but relying on gimmicks instead of musicianship. Like yeah, That's I got kiss I vibes off a of hellhole. Yeah, that might be prophetic. But like, I listened to the full song for a hellhole, and the verses sound straight out of a ZZ Top song. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, going back, like it, it is always fun, and the same thing in um in the Mighty Wind. It, it, it's fun, kind of how much work they put into the music and making it sound like believable songs, and rather just like thirty second. 30 second snippet jokes yeah with mighty wind it's weird i was just reading like they've done that that trio the folksman nearly as long as Mm -hmm. they've been doing spinal tap 
And so they didn't put it into a movie for like 20 years after they had been doing the characters. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they had been doing those characters for years. They feel kind of like broken in in that movie. Like they didn't even get that much screen time because it was almost like they were so well ingrained into themselves that they didn't need it. Yeah, I remember Kathleen O'Hara's and um, Eugene Levy. Levy. Yeah, their kind of arc was, it seemed like kind of the centerpiece to that one. Yep. That's a cool change up for Christopher Guest Mm because usually it's kind of centered around him. Yeah. Well, he did a good job with that one. And then um, Best in Show, he just had that small dog trainer role. Yeah, but it, it was the best part of the movie it really was <laughs> yeah he was 100 percent the best character learning ventriloquism on the side <laughs> it's a funny movie uh, my mom used to yell at me about uh why are you uh, naming nuts <laughs> stop naming nuts cashew <laughs> nut pecan nut pistachio nut <laughs> just kept going i'm trying to think of uh of, of kind of what other bits in, in Spinal Tap uh, are, are worth noting other than Stonehenge, which I can't watch without laughing. It's, it's rock when solid the, comedy. When the 18-inch Stonehenge comes down. It's rock solid comedy. It's so good. And that, that, the scene afterwards ends so perfectly, too, with Derek Smalls just being like, so are, are we doing Stonehenge <laughs> yeah. tomorrow? No, we're not doing Stonehenge. <laughs> so uh, a question you proposed that we ask uh, for every movie is, um, what kind of funny is this? You know, kind of breaking down what... Uh, what specifically are, are, or I guess in what specific ways are the filmmakers, the performers trying to kind of make you laugh? What are they using? And we've talked a bit about Christopher Guest's like kind of subtle uh, physical comedy. And we, we talked about the facial expressions of Harry Shearer. Um, and, but what, I, I guess what would you, how would you kind of try and sum up like, the dialogue in this movie that's a tough one this this one is specifically a tough one because like i don't know it's just it's it's like this specific improv improv based comedy where everybody's kind of bouncing off of each other in this like crazy way where everything everybody says starts off kind of funny and then somebody else adds something to it that just turns it that much funnier and it just keeps going like the it's 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 very deadpan oh absolutely but in a loot in a very absurd way yeah like um if you were if you were watching it like completely like half zoned out like not really paying attention to what anybody was saying then you would not get the jokes and you would not think it was mm-hmm. a comedy and that's the crazy i guess it is really dry in that kind of way like i was uh watching clips earlier trying to pull some audio and stuff like that. I was watching clips and I was scrolling through the comments on YouTube and for several scenes, like um, people brought up how they had, they before the internet, they would get in arguments with other people that they were watching it with over whether or not it was a real documentary or not. Uh And that's just crazy. 
I guess it is just it, taking that like they just take this that seriously within the movie. Yeah, I, I think so. Like just the, the filmmaking, it looks very genuine. Yeah. And there's so many moments that really aren't comedic, but they're kind of just uh, bookended between comedic moments. And, and so it, it kind of really flushes out the world and makes you kind of into this weird illusion with that these people are, are, are genuine. Yeah. I know that Ozzy Osbourne has gone on record saying that he thought it was real for years. Until some, yeah, I remember what Steven, Steven Tyler, a few other yeah, it, well, uh, like, musicians. It may, uh, Rob Reiner said that it makes Steven Tyler from Aerosmith and Edge from U2 cry every time they watch it. And then uh, Sting told Rob Reiner he didn't know whether to laugh or cry whenever he watches it because it's just too real for him. I mean, I could definitely understand that. Like, this definitely, like, paints a picture of what rock music had kind of become by the early 80s. Yeah. This, this kind of joke of itself and this, this uh, I don't know, just kind of a shilling for teenage boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, I love uh, I love Nigel talking about that when uh, when Rob Reiner asks him, like, Yo, oh, I noticed that your demographic is like young boys. And Nigel's just like, yeah, they see these anacondas in our trousers, these armadillos, <laughs> yeah. and the women are, are afraid. Yeah, they're terrified, so they're not going to listen to your music. Speaking of terrifying, I don't know what it is about that keyboardist, but he's oh, kind of yeah. scary. Just there's just some about him that's just that freaks me out. He's probably cool. yeah. He, he likes the party, you know. Yeah. He wants to what, live life to his fullest every day. I forget what he says. Yeah, something like that. Have as much fun. Have as a good possible time all the time. And then, but their 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 drummer Nick Shrimpton seemed very cat uh very lackadaisical over the fact that he might blow up or die and, he and did. then he does yep. and joe mama besser <laughs> takes over <laughs> i thought that was great i do i haven't really kept up with uh you know i've caught a few of their kind of like late night appearances here and there over the the past decade or so yeah but i haven't really keep kept up with the chronology of uh and the lore of older spinal tap i'm curious if they've gone into how many drummers they've now gone through. Oh, that'd be great. I bet they have. They have to. I feel like that's the first thing I would ask them, you know, if I was a Jimmy Fallon or whatever and I had them on. Speaking of weird trivia about that, like, did you know that the uh, the cursed in the, in, the, in the Harry Potter verse, the cursed nature of the Defense Against the Dark Arts teaching position was directly based on Spinal Tap? That's pretty funny. No, I did yeah. not. That's great. J.K. Rowling has gone on the record saying, yep, she took took that concept straight from Spinal Tap. going to say, oh, I guess from here we could uh, we could ask the question we ask every time, uh, unless you had any, any little extra kind of bits I, you wanted to talk about. I do have some weird factoids involving similarities between, like, real band situations and uh, Spinal Tap. A lot of this stuff happened after the movie, so they couldn't like sp- like they didn't base these jokes off of like real situations. Instead, real situations ended up occurring happenstance afterwards, but they're bizarrely accurate. 
but like uh okay yeah i do want to hear about in this. 1997 u2 had a performance where during their big encore they were going to come out of a giant lemon uh-huh. and they got stuck inside it <laughs> <laughs> and then um right before the movie was released after they had filmed it and after all the jokes were set in stone like black sabbath released an instrumental song called stonehenge and for uh-huh. the live show they wanted a stonehenge st- set like a stage uh set <laughs> But Don Arden, uh-huh. Shelley Osbourne's dad and the band manager at the time, wrote the dimensions down as 15 meters instead of 15 feet. So they built this prop that was 45 feet tall and cost a fortune and wouldn't fit anywhere. And so it was like the polar, like the opposite. Yeah, yeah. But it's crazy. The opposite problem. And then although this has been kind of disproven, in 1992, Jeff Percaro, Toto's drummer, got really, really sick after ants accidentally inhaling insecticide while gardening. And he later died of a heart attack, and a lot of people conflated the two, saying he died of a bizarre gardening accident. In truth, after the (laughs) autopsy, they found out it was uh, cocaine-related clogged arteries. But still, kind of bizarre. Yeah? Yeah, Yeah, I think authorities should leave that, uh, uh, you know, that stone unturned. Oh, and several several members of several bands including blink 182 and a bunch of others have talked about how it's not funny that the band got lost in the behind, i was just about to like bring backstage. that up that's my favorite i was laughing so hard at <laughs> yeah. that i for- completely forgot about that moment i had forgot that they're With- given like those way too specific and way elaborate directions Tonight. You go right straight through this door here, down the hall, yeah. turn right, yeah. and then there's a little jog there, about 30 jog. feet, jog to we the left. We don't have time for that. Go straight okay. ahead. We'll we'll go straight you. ahead, yeah. turn right the next two corners, and the first door you sign, authorized, personnel only, yeah. open that door, that's the stage. You think so? You're authorized, you're being musicians. Oh, you got to take two right. steps and then go straight and then start to jog. And they and go I love down his face jump. when they like come back and see him again. <laughs> you must have taken He's a wrong like, oh, turn. I guess, I guess you took a wrong <laughs> turn. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I wonder. I, I remember hearing, uh, you know, Rob Reiner say he tried to keep, you know, his questions to himself for the most part. Yeah. I wonder if that was kind of a moment where, yeah, they just kind of followed them with cameras through a confusing hallway. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he did. Uh, he kept his questions but like yeah that's a interesting thing that you brought up i don't think we've gone over like how they improvise like the entire movie is improvised but how do you keep something coherent when you've got all these people making things up as they go along and what they did mm-hmm. was they spent years developing these solid backstories where each person remem- like not necessarily memorized but got to know their character so well that they knew everything about how they got together, who they, you know, like who their other band members were, what their other band names were, like everything about their backstory so that they knew everything so that when Rob Reiner would ask them a question that they didn't necessarily know what that question was going to be. They knew what, 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 you know, like they knew the answer to it when you ask, you know, like how many drummers have you had? They knew right off this so that they could yeah, keep it yeah, coherent. Exactly. Like Harry Shearer knew who Derek Smalls was. Exactly. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll get to um, 
the the that classic gag reel question how has this film stood up to time that's a good question because this uh, i mean not the oldest movie you know but uh it, it's getting there now it's kind of weird to think about how, how old this movie is now yeah i mean I, I saw i first saw it well after it had come out but it's yeah it's still kind of it's interesting to think about how old it actually is. I guess uh, looking at it kind of like ethically, modern, politically, uh, I was actually kind of surprised that not that much like things that would, you know, furrow people's eyebrows nowadays other than um, maybe the use of the little people with the Stonehenge or at least <laughs> the way that's treated. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. But... It's not terribly offensive. They don't call out, you know, too many horrible names or anything. No. That definitely, I I was kind of waiting for that moment to be kind of a bit more cringy because I hadn't seen this in a few years. Oh, yeah. But it, it was not as much as I had uh, thought. No. And I feel like all of the kind of surrounding cast around the band does a good job of kind of calling them out on their shit. Yeah, like, like they uh, call out sexism at, you know, like in the, with the smell the glove situation. Even though like, they could have just, yeah, but that was a whole plot point and stuff. And everybody gets called out on their their nonsense. I do, I do wonder if um if the character of uh, I am blanking on on uh, David Saint Hubbins' uh, partner, what her name was, Janine. Janine, yes. I wonder if Janine would be a bit more fleshed out now or should be a bit more fleshed out now if yeah. this were to be re- remade for some reason. Because she is just kind of a cliche kind of naggy Yoko Ona figure. Yeah, and she had some funny aspects. Like the fact that she ran the entire band based on like star signs and had scheduled everything uh, around they, the zodiac. They did emphasize really smartly that she's kind of just as dumb as the rest of exactly. them. Exactly. And I thought it, they really could have given her a little more screen time or characterization to emphasize that. And yeah, that that definitely didn't age as well. They could have they could have done better by giving her character a little more than just a foil to Nigel. But yeah, but the but it. the drawings of what they were going to have to put on as costumes that's was one of, absolutely yes, hysterical. That was a moment I had completely forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. I just I love all their reactions <laughs> yeah. and how Derek Smalls is kind of supportive of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to think of what else. It's interesting. Uh, you you pointed out that the cinematographer has done a lot more, and I guess he just genuinely was great at making this look very cheap, but. Uh, it just, it almost makes it age in in an interesting way. I don't know. I just, I feel like nowadays if I try and show someone who's not kind of a film dork like me something from 70s or 80s or something, they're already a little bit apprehensive. Yeah. But then you kind of wrap this layer of like extra cheapness around it. And if that's not like properly communicated, it genuinely looks just kind of like crappy. Yeah, that's true. When it comes to old absurd comedies yeah i do think this one holds up a little better than some other ones i think like, the, especially when it comes it, to showing other a, people though i think the fact that it has kind of a style guide that it is trying to do something visually yeah i think that helps and i think the fact that so many more mockumentaries have come out since then that you can kind of 
sell it to people a little better than some other I don't know, like trying to get somebody I, to watch and enjoy like the jerk nowadays. It's uh, like an impossible task. Like not, even, even just like, I mean, it is, it's also filmed very cheap and like some of the jokes have not aged. Some of them yeah. have, I mean, some of them really stand strong and it's a, a goofy, ridiculous comedy, but at the same time, mm-hmm. just the way it's delivered just seems so old fashioned. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I love the jerk, but yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I do wonder if kind of because this uh, this documentary style has become so like commonplace that uh, I-, I wonder if this would be kind of less less funny and le- less impactful kind of to someone seeing it now. That's a good question. I don't know. It's it. I think it's could still be funny, but at the same time, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it's on a different level. And I, I, as much as I love it, I don't think it's nearly like at the the level of this movie but i mean like when the lonely island made pop star nobody saw that one and that's a mockumentary about I, yeah that's a, that's a different can of worms I, I think that's a, a lot to do with marketing rather than just the movie itself that's true and uh, yeah um, it would be interesting to compare it with spinal tap they follow a very similar structure yeah it's it's pretty similar uh plot line to I mean, although it's not just a focused, focused in filming of their tour, it goes more so biographical mm-hmm. styling. But yeah, it's 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 a mockumentary about a group, and and they have a falling out, and yeah, there you go. I don't think I have any any big conclusive closing statements on on Spinal Tap. I did want to bring up um, if uh, any listeners out there have been following the news, it was announced either yesterday or the day before that Fred Willard has passed away and um, and uh, I just wanted to bring up that he had a phenomenal scene in this movie as um, was it uh, Lieutenant uh, yes I forget his name I wrote it down I'm looking for Air Force uh, commander person uh, Lieutenant Bob Hookstratton Okay. Absolutely hilarious where uh, <laughs> he's a big fan of the records and the album, not necessarily of them, but as the rock and roll genre. Visit to a military facility. Find me. I start by saying how thrilled we are to have you here. We are such fans of your music and all of your records. I'm not speaking of yours personally, but the whole genre of the rock and roll and some of the exciting things that are happening in music today. And let me explain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he he goes on like it's a it's a good two minutes of solid comedy, and he's been great in everything. Yeah, I don't know how how Fred Willard uh, how Fred Willard does it, but it's just you, you put a camera in front of him, or I feel like it just you you probably if you were in a room with him, it's just nonstop on. Yeah, um, in that one interview with all with all four Harry Shearer, Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, and Rob Reiner, they were asked um, who cracked them up on set, and they said like the two people that cracked them up were uh, were. Fred Willard couldn't they couldn't stop laughing at everything he did and uh Paul Benedict the the older hotel clerk um couldn't they couldn't stop laughing at that guy either. Mm-hmm. 
that guy was that was pretty funny when, he, when uh, the manager was like yelling at him and his uh, what do you say? I wrote it down. Um, he's like this twisted old fruit, and the guy's like, I'm, "I'm as God made. I'm just as God made me, sir." <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And was he in every Christopher Guest movie? Or um, I thought so. I'm, I'm pretty um, sure he's a, at least in eighty percent of them. I, I I'm trying to remember waiting for Guffman, but I know in Best in Show he was the announcer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in Mighty Wind he was the producer. Yes. <laughs> what happened? What happened? <laughs> um. I guess we'll close this up. Uh. But we are we have a lot of fun episodes planned in the future. So stick with us. We we're talking about doing a what what the heck has happened to Adam Sandler uh, series, that, where we try and break down why his new movies aren't as funny. What 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 is different? You know, like what what makes these so bad? And when did they, like you know, completely fall apart? That's mm-hmm. something I've always wondered. It's just like at what point did they? Because I was so I was young when they already started to decline. Like I think. And so I just, uh, I, I'm curious to see the, uh, the downward trend. Yeah. Kind of a little more studying of the, I recently watched pixels. And oh, I you just, did. I don't understand. Like Chris Columbus, like he's not an amazing filmmaker, but he's made some fun movies. And I just don't understand how this like got his stamp on it. I don't, <laughs> I is the, one of the most baffling things I've ever seen. It's a, it's a conundrum of a movie. <laughs> I don't. But, even, uh, we, if I remember got, right, like everybody, even no one is even excited to be in it. Like it seemed like. Mm-hmm. I think Josh Gad was excited to be in an Adam Sandler movie, and he like tried, but his character didn't really have anything going for it. Really, I don't know. It was bizarre. Everything about it was bizarre. Yeah. But uh, we got that in store. Uh, we we got other kind of. We, we've been talking about going to some. Digging through some real bad movies, seeing uh, what we could say about those, uh, and obviously we're gonna be analyzing more classics and more kind of classic uh, comedy film auteurs. Yes, but I guess it that, that's all be for now. Exciting, or it won't be. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, see what happens. <laughs> but uh, good night, internet. Or good day, whatever. It's been a doozy. And one last thing. Um, shoot us an email uh, at gagreelpod at gmail.com. That's uh, it's spelled pretty much just like the episode. Gagreelpod at gmail.com. And uh, send us your own thoughts about Spinal Tap. Or um, if you've seen the feed, you see uh, that we uploaded an, another episode about Mystery Team as well. So shoot us an email about Mystery Team or Spinal Tap. And um, our next episode, two weeks from now, is going to be Mystery Men, the uh, the, the late 90s kind of flop of a comedy. Um, so write us in your own reviews of Mystery Men and... Uh, we can we can add that into the show and uh, have a good one guys it's over now say goodbye hope the gag real podcast blew your mind